Welcome back to the Pod of DC, everybody. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. I hope you're having a fine, fine day. My next guest on the pod, uh, just she puts a smile on my face. She has for a long time. I think anyone who has ever come into contact with her, she makes them feel the same way. She's just a, a wonderful person. She's a leader in the DC metropolitan area in women and technology, and she's quite the fashionista. My friend and ever so stylish, Christine Galayan. Hey, Christine, how are you? Hey there, Rick. Thank you. And I absolutely love that intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, well, it's true. It's true. And and you and I go back some time. We both went to JMU, mm-hmm. which we're both very proud of. Go Dukes. Go Dukes. And and we both ended up here in the DC Burbs after college. We We both were software engineers at Sprint after college. Yes, we were. Coding COBOL. <laughs> Preparing for Y2K, where everyone thought power was going to go off, the world was going to end. I know, I know. And we were there to save it. (laughs) We saved the day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Albeit for a short period of time, I think our tenure there was about the same. You were just a year before me Mm -hmm. coming in as a software engineer. Was that your plan coming out of college, looking to do the software engineer type of work? No, you know, I think you understand this as well. Um, I I majored in international business. That was my focus. And then um, just because of the industry and, of course, that Y2K, I did a double minor in Spanish and I added computer information systems because that was the wave of Uh the future. So I think uh, those that were coming in during our career fairs, a lot of the consulting companies wanted software engineers and that's where the jobs were. And I think I was just lucky to have added that CIS double minor in there. That was the wave of the future. And it still is right now, just a different taste of it. It's evolved so much. I mean, at JMU and the (laughs) College of Business and and Computer Information Systems, which was my major as well, or my major versus your minor. Mm -hmm. But we were learning what C++ and and COBOL and... Oh boy, I took those a couple couple times. Mm-hmm. We had the vast <laughs> machines, remember? <laughs> the green screen. <laughs> I remember somebody uh turning me on to this newfangled thing called Hotmail, which is uh which was email that you could actually do off of the VAC system, uh, which seemed way ahead of its time back mm-hmm. then. I still have my Hotmail account. Do you really? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. It, it is a great go-to for, for any kind of newsletters, signups, kind of uh, forward along and that kind of thing. Coupons, you name it. You spent most of your upbringing in the Virginia Burbs, but you were born in the Philippine Islands. I was in Baguio City, which is north of Manila. It's in the mountain region. So a lot of uh, the residents in Manila would venture up north to do their vacationing besides the beaches since it was so hot in Manila. So that's where I grew up in Baguio City. And you were there until about what age before you made it over to the States? I got to the States when I was eight years old. What was it like as a kid, kind of in that early 80s time frame? Yeah, it it was great. My mom has four sisters, so all her family were already in the U.S., so we were actually the last to get here to the States. But um, yeah, growing up there, it was so nice, just so pleasant. Still very small at that point in time, at least. That city that that I grew up in was still pretty small. Catholic school. And it was just such a small town feel, even though we were in the city. Just remember, I I was there with both my grandparents. We also had a dog, which I love dogs, and I, I have not had one since the Philippines. So definitely missed that part of my life. <laughs> 
it sounds like just a, a really pleasant um, upbringing there. Do you still have family in, in the Philippines or is everybody over here now in the States? Yeah, most of my mom's side is here. My dad's side, uh, most of them are still there in the Philippines, though I have not been back in quite some time. I think the mm. last time I was there was 2006. Can you believe it? Okay. Uh, but my dad oh, has wow. been back. Yeah. Two weeks, one week is just not enough when you're visiting family overseas. So you landed in Virginia, okay, as an eight-year-old. So we're talking, you know, coming into kind of middle school, junior high, and then your high school years. Tell me a little bit about that period for you. Yeah, actually, we were in Pennsylvania for three years. Um, so I started third grade in, outside of Philadelphia. Um, and then uh, I started seventh grade in Virginia. And then what what really brought you to JMU? What attracted you to that university when you were looking at colleges? What was important to you? Well, my sister went there, so that was kind of the doorway opened. Mm. Um, it's just when you visit, you just feel like it's home. Um, mm -hmm. It was everyone was just so nice. I do remember the orientation and um, everything was so pretty. It's out in the mountains, just calming effect. It was just such a small town feel, even though, I've, gosh, no longer it's a small town there. It's yeah. definitely expanded. Everyone was just so nice and down to earth. And I think that's what I liked about it. Totally reflect those same sentiments, too, because I, I, I felt at home immediately. My brother went to JMU, and so that was my mm -hmm. inspiration behind going as well. What kind of activities were you drawn to on campus? I mean, there's there's so many opportunities coming in uh, with, without the distractions of technology like we have today. And it comes up a lot on these pods about, wow, I just can't imagine college with oh the technologies that we have today and the social media and that kind of thing. <laughs> well, don't know if uh, you remember Godwin Hall, but... Oh, um, yeah, of course. <laughs> that in Hillside, I started teaching aerobics there, old school aerobics. That was one of my... Uh, kind of my part-time job, actually. Mm. It, it was great. And if you think about it, when we taught, it was with the tapes and we had to rewind them, <laughs> rewind, fast forward, pause. And then when uh, everything moved over, I think I was just graduating when the new rec center. Yeah, you rec. You rec. Yep. We were all in awe that there was a CD player in there. Um, <laughs> But I, I don't know. It's just um, you just remember meeting your friends, walking to places, having a good time. And when you sat down, you actually sat down and spoke to people. It wasn't let's mm. sit down, let's check our phones, let's check Twitter or whatnot. It was just really good conversations, even when you were walking somewhere or you were exercising, whatever it was, it was full on conversations face to face, that human interaction that can never be you know, replaced. Yeah, agreed. And it was really through those types of interactions and those connections and networks. I mean, for me, that it was kind of this manual assembly of of contacts and then, of course, performance, academic performance and all that, that led me to ultimately interview with Sprint. And, and that's who I got an internship for. How did you land at Sprint as, as your first job out of college? It was during one of our career fairs where all the uh, companies had come in, they interviewed, you had to sign up, you provided your resume, and then they would pick you, you'd have to sign up for um, a time slot. And I do remember uh, interviewing a few of those other companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of it all, um, I chose Sprint. 
were you looking to do programming itself or was that just, again, where that job was going to be? And so you were going to kind of start taking that path and see where it led. Yeah, it was, uh, I was going to take it and, uh, you know, see where it led. You know, I mentioned I I majored in international business and Mm -hmm. my view or the vision of what I had in my mind, um, what I would have loved to have done uh, is, and it was actually a video in one of my uh, intercultural classes that was showed. And uh, my vision was traveling all over the world, sitting down, having dinners and events Mm -hmm. with international clients. But I think entering into this information systems world technology, it was such a great foundation because I can still do the um, meeting with clients internationally, but now I do have that um, technology background in my pocket so that I can uh, talk to it freely with clients. And um, luckily enough, after that software engineer stint in Sprint, um, I landed a role with a small private cybersecurity firm And my territory was Central America. Mm. And so my vision kind of came to fruition when I, you know, met with different clients, spoke the Spanish (laughs) that I minored (laughs) in, but still talked about technical terms, cybersecurity. I think no matter what you choose, it somehow, whatever vision that you had, as long as you continue to work on it, it, it'll come. Right. Full circle, just like you. I mean, you you majored in biology, and now you're kind of in health, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it does. It does come full circle. Exactly that. I mean, there's been some reinventions along the way, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think the way the technology has evolved itself, it's it's hard not to right. um, evolve or or take on maybe a hobby or something on the side that you enjoy and incorporate that professionally. Yeah. Again, I wouldn't trade the opportunities that technology provides us today provides us so many professional related types of opportunities, the freedom and the convenience and wherever you are in the world, the ability to be productive and to connect and that sort of thing. But, you know, my concern has has been with the evolution of technology, the replacement of that one-to-one type of communication that you talked about. So cybersecurity, you kind of hit that after that stint at Sprint, and, and that's been something even up to today that you're practicing with a lot of blue chip organizations and companies that you've worked with along the way, Verizon, IBM. How has that evolved as a market and kind of your role within cybersecurity? Yeah, I absolutely love cybersecurity. I'm so lucky to have fallen into it. Um, so when I had first started, it was... The chatterbox, uh, scuttlebutt, you know, was, have you heard of this cool thing called a firewall? <laughs> um, and then, you know, a few years after that, it was, have you heard of this cool thing called penetration testing? Now, gosh, it's that times so many things. It's evolved exponentially. For some reason, I love it. Technology, and now they're adding uh, artificial intelligence into it. Um, I just feel like uh, all the different realms of technology is now kind of coming together. It's just really exciting. We were there for COBOL. We were coding. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and what we were doing, I, I remembered when I had first started, because what we were doing, remember, was uh, we were we were working on billing statements, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah. I, traffic processing systems. When I when I told my friends <laughs> yeah. that I worked on TPS reports, <laughs> and Office Space had just come out right around that ninety nine time frame. I mean, I, when I saw that movie, 
exactly <laughs> reflected pain that I felt day in, day out in that cubicle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. TPS, billing. Um, and I had remembered someone said, yeah, well, we're hoping that the billing isn't just for the phone, but we're hoping mm -hmm. that when technology advances, they're going to get the internet where you can watch um, videos, plus you can talk on the phone, plus you can talk and, and have traffic uh, email. And I thought all that in one system, good luck, ha ha. But I know. oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> look at where we are now, all that in one little pipe. And now it's wireless. I know. Yep. Ion, Sprint Ion, the integrated on-demand network yes. or something like that. Oh my goodness. Um, yes. That's right. That's right. And that whole <laughs> build up to Y2K. Yeah. So is it the protection of assets? Because to me, a lot of what's how things have evolved in technology, it's kind of an alphabet soup. It's salads of words mm -hmm. and jargon that kind of all run together for me. Is there a particular angle about cybersecurity that is just so, uh, I guess, keeps you engaged and, and really just seeing how it's evolving? Yeah, I don't think it'll ever go away. The flavors might be different and the advancement will definitely be different, but I don't think it'll ever mm -hmm. go away. And I really loved it when I worked for, it was Verizon and I was working on identity technologies and, you know, you're adding, it was just the firewall at one point and now you're adding so many different elements to it, AI. And when we were working on identity, we were also looking into um, biometrics, even adding just biometrics into cybersecurity. I think someone had told me that uh, they visited a data center and before you went into the data center, they would weigh you. I don't know how many people really like that, but they would weigh you so that when you came back, if you weighed differently, they knew that something was off. Maybe you took something, you took an asset that you shouldn't have. Interesting. But it, you're adding such creativity into technology that's supposed to be mm -hmm. just bits, right? Ones and zeros and putting such creativity to it. And I think just that um, that combining of the two is so cool. That's interesting. I, I never thought about it in that way. Even apart from cyber technology, you have you know, holograms out now that you only saw in Star Wars movies. <laughs> but, you know, right. people do have holograms out now. They had it for, was it not this Super Bowl, but last year's Super Bowl with Prince. They had that hologram of Prince. Mm -hmm. um, it's just really cool stuff that technology can offer. And it's just unfortunate that you do have those bad guys, you know, and that's why we need that cybersecurity. But for the goodness of it all, and even just uh, the cancer research, the advancement that technology can have in the medical field, it's just so cool. You have kind of a mantra of inspiring girls and empowering women, and yes. technology has, has never been an industry, at least traditionally thinking, a heavy associate ranks on up through leadership as far as women. Mm -hmm. um, how has that evolved over time since just in the last 20 some years that you've been out of college and, and started that job at Sprint? I don't know what the previous statistics are, but at least at this point in time, women make up, of course, 50% of the workforce, but only 25% of them hold positions in technology, which is kind of, conversely, it's the fastest growing space in the employment sector. So I think that's why there's such a growth in, you know, women in technology groups. You see so many, even if you just scroll down on LinkedIn, uh, companies now have their own women in science or women in technology medicine space, because it is something that's really important. Like I said in the beginning, 
this is the future. Even if you are an accountant, you're still using an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> or mm-hmm. um, even if you're in marketing, you're using a lot of the um, HTML coded applications. You're still using technology no matter what. It's the wave of the future. And we want girls to be able to participate, to become those leaders, the future physicists, engineers, whatever have you for the future, because that is that space that we have. That is that landscape that we have looking forward into the future. Yeah. And you've really taken that a step further and being very active with a nonprofit organization called Women in Technology. Tell us a little bit about that organization. I'm so lucky to be part of this organization. So it is a professional networking organization based in the D.C. area. A lot of people think WIT is a a national organization with different chapters, but uh, Women in Technology D.C., it's its own organization. We were founded 26, actually now I think it's 27 years ago. Mm. And the the president, uh, the founder, she was the only woman coder in her company. And that's why I think she decided, let me see if there are other women in this technology arena. And then it evolved from there on. And our motto is advancing girls and women in the fields of STEM from the classroom to the boardroom. And we do just that. So we do have programs, events for girls in technology, as well as women in technology, all the different ages. We have various programs, mentoring programs, uh, networking programs. And even though now with COVID and this virtual world that we have, we've had successful events where it's virtual. And I think that just shows that it's really needed to show girls and women that you know, you do belong in this space. And uh, there are other women who are uh, successful in this. There's no reason why you can't do it or can't join it. Do you, as a president-elect who begins their term next summer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you will be leading the charge uh, for WIT, WIT, <laughs> Women in Technology. Pretty exciting. I'm sure you're thinking of some of the creative kind of angles too. Do you think a lot of it boils down to just marketing of technology to women? Is that something that you would take on as your time as president-elect? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when we were graduating from college, um, at least the way with my upbringing and just our generation, I think it was, this is what you do. And you're going to do that for a long time. And then you'll retire from it. And then you can do whatever your heart desires. But I think with the with technology, you see a lot of people now where, okay, you enter technology but you can do so many different things with technology. It doesn't have to be that coder. You know, you have all these, when you mention fashion, there are so many applications and technology that goes into trying to find the perfect fabric or the perfect coloring. Gosh, it's so entrenched in so many different things. And so now at least my mantra is that it's not just one or the other. You can be all these different things that you want to be. And um, I always use her as an example, (laughs) but Alison Ferris, she won um, the Rising Star Award a few years ago for Women in Technology Leadership Awards. And what I loved about her, she's a coder for Microsoft, but a year before that, or two years before that, she won top 10 of Miss America. You know, now she's in London with Microsoft, but it's just whatever she was good at, she just kept doing it. And it wasn't that because she was in one thing, it deterred her 
from doing another thing. It was more with a mindset of I'm doing this, but I can also do this, even though they might not always seem so you know, synonymous to each other, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm good at it. So I think that's the message that I really want to bring forward is, hey, you can be in technology, you can be an astronaut, but you can be fabulous as well. <laughs> And you are a woman about town. You and I have crossed paths at local events, charity events throughout the D.C. metropolitan area. And and you've even served on a judge panel for the Miss America organization, the Miss World, as well as the Mrs. America organization. How did you uh, get involved with some of those organizations? So the Miss Teen America and Miss America Um, along with Miss World. That was through a friend of mine who owns her own, it's like a pageant prep company. And I had met her through this one empowerment event and I volunteered for it. I did not know what to expect as being a judge, but a few days prior, she would give us the binder of resumes to look at. And I read these resumes and I thought these girls are only, some of them are just teenagers. Some of them are just entering or in college. And it was, I was flabbergasted. They have accomplished so much <laughs> in that young age that they're, mm-hmm. that they're in. It's It was just so amazing. From reading all of those resumes, you come into it, you meet them, and they're so well-spoken. They're so eloquent. And these women, all they want to do, it, yes, they of course, they want the crown. But the reason why they want that crown is because each one of them has a platform, and they want to use that crown to be a bigger voice for those who don't have a voice. They, they want that platform platform to be able to help the community and move and progress their platform forward. It is so amazing. Yeah, I've had a few conversations uh, on the pod, but, you know, offline being involved myself as well with the Mrs. Mm -hmm. America organization. And it really is so much about development, inner development, being a part of these pageants. And it was something that never really dawned on me. It's something that's so outwardly and so visual that people associate it with having interviewed and uh, already as well as future interviews with contestants and and winners of these pageants, it's just amazing to hear how much they have really grown in the process. It was something, just a way to further develop themselves, even if it's just being on the stage and being a contestant and not taking the crown. Just getting to that point takes a lot. Right. And, um, you know, speaking of technology too, I mean, 2019 Miss America, you've got Camille right now, who is, you know, she won, not only is she um, eloquent, well-spoken, confident, such a presence on stage, but, you know, her talent portion was a science project. And um, now that her platform is really uh, trying to involve more girls and women into the STEM field. So pretty much the epitome (laughs) of um, the definition of empowerment for the STEM community. That's very cool. And it sounds like it's really just those efforts of, you know, standing on the shoulders of those like your colleague at at Women in Technology. You're very active in the D.C. area, again, philanthropically, socially, but you also just put a lot of good vibes out there. And and that's really what people feel when they meet you. Uh, You have a a blog now called A Cup of Positivacy. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the blog and what inspired it. I I just started it last year, actually. You know, I I always love to put positive vibes out out there. And I think the naming of it 
gosh, what did you guys call me in college? It was little G. <laughs> and then now it's morphed into C. And so um, a cup of positivity and the way that it's formed or structured, it's three cups per week. They're short, I think. And uh, it, it's just to the point, but it's quick reads, just so it's easier for the reader, it, you know, just to get a quick read, get a quick uh, burst of uh, positivity with all of what's happening. It was just uh, timely that I started it last year. What I really wanted to do was just share my experiences about life and its different roller coasters, Mm -hmm. what I've gone through, and just sharing, you know, my thoughts on things and how to stay positive. Specifically now, what has happened in 2020, I think it's really even inspired me more to write and push positive messages out there. Do you feel like we are in that kind of unique position, being the age we are and the life experiences that we've we've gathered to really make an impact on things? Because yeah. my, my kids will grow up knowing that they wore masks and there was a pandemic mm-hmm. where politically we just couldn't couldn't get along and couldn't mm-hmm. come up with compromise. But we've seen that that's possible, that life isn't about wearing masks. And we can <laughs> agree. We agree. The majority of us agree on more things than we don't. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think even of our parents, they've seen even more and experienced more. And I think it's just letting them know that everything is cyclical. And just like technology, it's the same thing. It's just a different taste. What's consistent is going to be your attitude in life and how you look at things and how you pick yourself back up through those downward moments. That's one thing that's consistent. And in just uh, the past series of blogs, I talked about attitude of gratitude. Attitude is free. Mm-hmm. And the more that you practice it, it it's really hard, I think, you know, uh, habits of being positive, you have to really practice it. We've had time now. Uh, how long have we been in working from home, no matter what, it's giving us a chance to practice that attitude of gratitude. It's just a positive way of looking at it, no matter how hard Mm -hmm. or how impossible things seem, there's always, always going to be a light. And we were just talking about it earlier where sometimes we just feel so less than, but the more that you start saying thank you for the little things, you realize you have more than, uh, more than enough. Absolutely. And, ha- and how valuable that human connection is that we have, whether it's at public events or just spending more time with family and partners and significant others and that sort of thing. To be thankful for liking who you're with, <laughs> you certainly learn mm-hmm. learn to, yes. to maybe hopefully see new things in your own family, spend some more time, learn some new things. I mean, we're, we're always doing that. But that continuous growth over time uh, is is something that I think this, this experience has certainly provided us. I appreciate you putting out that positivity. It's something that whenever you and I cross paths socially and, and professionally and, and whatnot in the greater DC market, it's it's always such a joy being with you. I want to let others keep up with, with what you're doing as well. So the blog is a cup of positivity, so P-O-S-I-T-I-V-I-C.com, uh, all one word. You have a public Facebook profile as well as an Instagram at Chris Hita, C-R-I-S-G-I-T. And of course, Christine Galayan on LinkedIn, C-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-G-O-L-L-A-Y-A-N. So again, Christine, it's been a pleasure having you on the pod today. And thanks again so much for, for sharing your story and, 
all the great things you're doing in the uh, women in technology uh, field and community in D.C. Thank you so much, Rick. Yeah, this was a pleasure. So that's it for today. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. Thanks for listening to The Pod of D.C. We'll talk soon.